Well, good morning. I invite you to turn with me to James chapter 1 and uh, to show you how the Lord can prepare things without our planning. Uh, the beautiful song that we just uh, heard um, speaks on somewhat the same theme that James is addressing here. And I hadn't heard this song before. How many of you have heard it before? Okay, well, that's good. And I'd like to see the words for it. It's uh, um, very meaningful because it's saying, well, we ask for this, that, and the other thing, but sometimes we don't get it. But in, e- in any case, we want to trust the Lord to distinguish between our wants and our needs and to give thanks to him with gratitude, uh, regardless of what's going on. And if I were to give a title to the message this morning... Uh, I could call it the hardest command. Now, you might want to argue with me and say, oh, well, they're harder commands. But it's certainly one of the hardest commands. Because let's look at James chapter 1 and verse 2. James is probably written comparatively early. And he doesn't go into a lot of what we would call theology. Now, as our kind introduction that was given to me, uh, obviously you can find lots of things on the Internet that I had forgotten were there. Um, it's simply the Evangelical Theological Faculty is a, is a school in Belgium that serves people from all over Europe. Uh, and uh, then there was also a school two hours away in Amsterdam that uh, I was privileged to serve on both uh, faculties, moving back and forth between uh, the two of them uh, for 21 years until three years ago uh, when I thought I would be retiring, coming back here. Uh, but then, uh, as you heard, the Lord uh, took my wife uh, uh, at the beginning of uh, 2011 uh, to be with him. And uh, a small school founded by Koreans, but based here in San Francisco, um, got me involved. And it's called Olivet. And uh, so I've been involved with it. And as I think most of you know, Koreans are very active and industrious and they have uh, ministry going all over the world. And this is a place where they also have their Bible and theology teaching. So I've been able to keep going with that there as well as moving here to a cottage right next to my son up in Walnut Creek. And so I'm based not too far away, but the Lord has seen fit to give me the health and enable me to keep active in ministry, primarily in teaching, but occasionally in preaching, which I appreciate the opportunity to do. And uh, sometimes people say, well, you, you get a little bit too academic, but I think today you'll see that we are trying to deal with a very practical matter, because what is this hard command? Well, look at uh, James chapter 1 and verse 2. James is saying, and I understand you will see it up there now, uh, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, of many kinds. Consider it joy. Now, it's hard enough if the command had said, uh, whenever you face trials or troubles of many kinds, don't complain. You know, just accept it. Uh, see that, you know, try to find out what you can learn from it, as, as we heard in the song just now. What lessons there can be. That, that's hard enough. 
But James goes beyond that. He says, consider it pure joy. Now, we know what joy is when something really happy uh, uh, that we're really looking forward to and when it when it happens uh, someone will come someone coming to the Lord a person in their life being transformed uh, somebody of uh, a new baby being born and, and healthy and everybody's uh, happy and rejoicing uh, or maybe it's the team you're rooting for in some athletic event or perhaps the candidate you're rooting for in some political event but whatever there can be you know actual joy uh, when something goes well. Maybe it's a promotion that you get at work. I don't think anybody here is, is uh, competing in the lotteries, but I guess people are happy when they win that. But uh, it is interesting. James is not saying it is exactly the same as joy. He says consider it or regard it as joy. So he is recognizing that yeah, there, there are things that are not good events, things that we're not happy about. But when we experience a trial, when we experience a, a difficulty, and by the way, he says that there are many kinds. It, it can be, you know, a big one, a little one. It can be public. It can be something we know privately. But many different kinds that we are to regard it or consider it or count it in somewhat the way that if it really were an occasion for genuine joy. Now, I think that's a hard command because, of course, when we do face troubles, trials, maybe it's a very painful uh, illness or injury. Maybe it's a broken uh, relationship. Maybe it's losing our jobs and, and not being able to find another one after a long while. Uh, there are all sorts of different kinds of trials. It can be difficulty in, in, at our work, at, at our school, wherever. Uh, to, to nevertheless respond to that in, in a way somewhat equivalent to how we respond when things are going well, when things are going the way we had hoped and prayed for. Well, James doesn't lead us, leave us without some guidance on how to do this. And uh, I see different people can come up with different different numbers, but I see seven, seven uh, points that he makes in the next few verses going down to verse 18. Uh, each of them is made uh, sort of briefly and inviting us to reflect upon it. Uh, now, if I had known further in advance and knew that you had this sort of video set up, I might have put these points in an outline that we could project. I know a lot of churches do that sort of thing. Not most of the ones where I've been, but a lot of the ones that are, are growing and flourishing, they find people like these sort of visual aids. But you'll just have to, to if you want to take notes or at least mentally, uh, as we go through these seven points that uh, James is making as to how we can uh, try to obey what he says about whatever the trial that we might have, that we're able to sort of regard it or count it in somewhat the way that we would if it were really an occasion for joy. And this isn't only for us. It's also for the people that we come in contact with. We don't have to be an official uh, counselor in order to have others who are around us. It can be, of course, in our own family, our children, our parents. Uh, but it can be our neighbors. It can be our co-workers. 
that uh, we can have uh, one, or, one or more of these ways of sharing with them from the Word of God. Well, the first point is uh, in verses 3 and 4. Let's look at those. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The first point is that to realize that whenever we face a trial, a difficulty, a trouble, that God has a positive purpose in that. A positive purpose. Now, James summarizes that by pointing to endurance, or you could translate it as patience or perseverance. Uh, The same Greek word is translated in the various ways. And he's saying that that if we have that, it, it sort of includes the others within it. And so that this is one, it's not the only one, but it's the one he's mentioning here, of, of something that is a positive thing that, that God can be developing in us by allowing uh, this trial, this trouble to uh, come into our lives, maybe even to overcome us in, in our lives. And if we reflect upon that a little bit, uh, God is preparing us for eternity uh, to be with him, those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, sins forgiven through what Christ has done for us, This life is one that we're passing through, but being prepared for eternity. And there's certain things that we can learn here and experience here that we won't be able to in eternity. And if you think about it, you know, in order for patience to be developed, in order for endurance, perseverance, these these kinds of of virtues, it, it requires that things not be going well, that uh, people be making us uh, wait. Uh, that's, of course, a comparatively minor thing. Better get used to it with the Bay Bridge being closed now. But, um, you know, uh, developing patience, but then perseverance, uh, even when the going is tough and so forth. But we won't have that opportunity in heaven because there uh, God will be in complete control. A sin will be absent. And the pictures that we get in heaven, and of course the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot, but what we, what we are told is that a lot of the problems, in fact all the problems that we have here in, in this earth, they won't be there. God himself will wipe away every tear. Uh, there'll be no more sorrow and, and so forth. And, and so the opportunity to develop patience within us, endurance, perseverance, is here in this present life. And uh, then, of course, he's also saying that, that so that you may be perfect or may be complete, may be mature, not lacking anything. And uh, God tells us we're to be holy as he is holy. And one of the things, of the many things that we should know about God, is that God is very, very patient. Consider how patient he has been with his rebellious creatures. How patient he was with Israel. How patient he is with the church. How patient he is with us individually. And so patience is obviously a virtue within God himself. And he wants to develop that within us. And so if everything always went well for us, we wouldn't have the occasion to develop it. So James is saying, as the very first point that he, that he makes, 
when he says that, well, we're considered as joys to realize, well, God, you can, out of this trouble, out of this trial, you can be developing within me something that can last for all eternity, something I won't be able to develop when I do get to be with you face to face, when all these trials and troubles are, are removed, and, but, but the virtue will be there. And so I realize that you have this positive purpose, even as the song that we heard uh, was indicating, that whether we get what we ask for or we don't, that, that we can still praise God and appreciate him uh, for it and realize that he has lessons to teach us and so forth. So the first point of how we can have joy, uh, rejoicing, even in, in the midst of, of trials, is to say, well, well, God, I realize this, this trial itself is not pleasant. It, it, it may be very painful, uh, emotionally painful, physically painful, but you, you can be developing within it uh, that which is a positive outcome. Uh, now, James doesn't go on and on about that. That's what he wants us to do with the Holy Spirit guiding us and bringing other scriptures to bear. This morning I was reading from Hebrews chapter 12, and, and it certainly uh, speaks to why God allows certain discipline to come into our lives. And he uses the example of Christ himself uh, having uh, certain, you know, things to, to go through and, and all. And that we can, uh, uh, so, you know, that's just one example of another chapter, Hebrews 12. There are many others that we can reflect upon on this. But, but another, the next verse I want us to consider, point number two, is verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now you say, well, why is that stuck in there? Well, okay, stop and think about it. When you do have a problem, especially if it's an unexpected problem, uh, you often know, well, what do I do now? What, what's the next step? Lord, uh, I wasn't expecting this to happen. I wasn't expecting to lose this job. I wasn't expecting to, to have this accident which has disabled me, and especially at this bad time. I, what do I do? What's the next step? We lack wisdom. And so James is saying that uh, when we have the trials of whatever kind, we, we need to keep in mind that we have somebody we can approach. We ask them, what do we do? What is the next step? What is the response that I am to take now uh, in view of this unexpected circumstance? Or maybe it was expected, but we still can be perplexed as to what to do. And so that's a very important point to keep in mind, that wisdom is available to us. That, and, and God isn't going to ball us out for asking. Sometimes you ask a, a fellow human uh, what to do, and it's, oh, that's something you should figure out for yourself. But uh, our, our God, it says, without upbraiding the old word, without uh, rebuking us, without bawling us out you know, for asking. And it says that he will give generously. He will give what we need. Now, generously here doesn't necessarily mean money or something like that, but he will give the wisdom generously as to know uh, what to do. But then we have verses 6 through 8. And this really isn't a separate point. This is a qualification to point 2. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea 
blown and tossed by the wind. You'll find that throughout this short letter, James has lots of analogies with nature. But like a wave of the sea, those who doubt should not think they will receive anything from the Lord. They're double-minded and unstable in all they do. Well, it's a tremendous promise in verse 5 that if we lack wisdom, ask and God will give it to us generously. It won't balls out. But then he seems to be taking it back in verses 6 through 8 by saying, aha, you know, if you have any doubts, uh, don't expect, don't expect the wisdom. Well, we'll see later what it is that we might be doubting because James does come back to that. But just by way of anticipation, uh, I, I think we need to, as we think about this whole problem of problems, of trials, of difficulties, that whenever they do come, it's also a temptation. In fact, the Greek word for trial uh, and, and testing is also able to be used for what we mean by temptation. And we'll see that verb come up again later, too. And whenever there is a trial, whenever there is a test, or at least many of the times, there is a temptation to doubt that God is good. Why is he allowing this? I thought God was all-powerful. He could have kept this from happening. Uh, There were all sorts of things he could have done to, to have made it come out differently. Maybe God isn't so good after all. Maybe God isn't that concerned about me or my loved ones or whatever. In other words, a trial, a test, uh, even if it's just, you know, of some physical problem, maybe the fire burning down your, your homes like is happening to some of our friends here in California and other parts of the country or being flooded the way it is in other places. Uh, it's say, well, you know, maybe we don't have a good God. Maybe we don't have a, a God who's that involved uh, after all. And I think many of you probably know people who perhaps are very active Christians or very interested in finding out more about Christ and then some calamity happened in their lives and uh, they turned away from God or turned away from seeking after him. And this is certainly one of the most common objections that people have. Uh, is that, well, you know, it might be nice if the Christian concept of God were real, but there are just too many problems going on in the world, too much suffering, too much injustice, too many natural disasters. Uh, there really, there really couldn't be a God who is involved. And so James is saying that yes, we can come to God and ask for wisdom and he will grant it, but God wants us to come to him believing that he is a good God. And to realize that this is one of the biggest temptations is to uh, doubt that. It goes back to the garden. Uh, Satan successfully got Eve to doubt that God really had uh, our best interest uh, at heart. That he was trying to restrict us in some way. And so Adam and Eve fell for that temptation and said, well, you know, uh, maybe maybe we can't really trust God's judgment. We we have to go out on our own. And, of course, we've seen the results ever since. God wants us, because he is good, he wants us to come to him believing that, not doubting that, not saying, well, okay, God, I'll, 
let me have your advice, uh, your wisdom as to what to do, and then I'll, I'll consider whether or not to do it. Now, in dealing with a fellow human being, if you have a problem and we get to talking about it and you ask me my advice, um, I, I, I do expect you to realize that, well, I am simply human. I don't know all the factors. I may, I would, of course, be trying, if I gave any advice, I'd be trying to give my best advice for the case, but I may be wrong. So, you know, you are right to, when you're dealing with a fellow human being, to have a certain amount of doubt or reservation as to whether you're going to follow their advice. And as they say, with medical matters and other matters too, get a second opinion. But don't transfer how we relate to our fellow humans to how we're supposed to relate to God. So that's what this verse 5, 6, 7, and 8 is intended to get us to reflect upon. And then the third point. The first one is a positive purpose in the trial. Second, we do have wisdom if we come without doubting and truly trusting that God is good. Now, the third point is to realize from here in verse 9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Now, you see, when something goes wrong, uh, it often can reduce us in circumstances. Maybe we've been healthy and we suddenly get knocked flat flat off our feet. We're no longer up and about. Uh, maybe we've had a good, good paying job, been able to pay our bills, so forth, and, and we lose our job, or have big expenses that come up, and we're, we're reduced in, in our level of, of income. We're now in humble circumstances. Um, James is here saying, as a third point, to realize that uh, this world is not all there is, that there is going to be glory in the future, Here he's referred to it as our high position, where we are in Christ, if we're identified with him. If we've trusted in the Lord, we have been raised up with him. James doesn't go into all this. A lot of it, at the time he was writing, was probably still being circulated uh, in speaking, orally. Uh, We now have it written down by the Apostle Paul and and others uh, as to just what this teaching is about our high position that we have if we have identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. So James is here in the third point telling us that, well, when we find ourselves in bad circumstances and lowly circumstances, to reflect upon the high position we have in Christ and that the future uh, hasn't yet been realized, but because Christ has been raised from the dead, we can be assured that one day we too will be raised with him and be with him forever. As we've heard already this morning, we're said to be the bride of Christ. You can read about the the wedding supper of the Lamb and so forth. We're part of the body of Christ. Uh, But we we still haven't experienced our resurrection in the way that we one day will. Uh, But we are to reflect and keep in mind our uh, high position in Christ. Now, the fourth point, verse 10. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, they will pass away like a wildflower. And going on to verse 11, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. 
Here James is also cautioning us uh, to keep those who aren't experiencing problems presently uh, in the proper perspective. Not to envy them. And if we are those who everything is going well with right now, uh, we're to realize that could change. And so not to be smug about it and to say, well, God must be punishing this brother who is suffering over here. God must be punishing this, this sister whose husband has left her or whose children are, are off on going wild in some way. Uh, she must have done something wrong. And uh, we can be smug and satisfied that, well, things are well with us and with our family and with our job situation and with our health and so forth. And so James is saying, okay, maybe you're not having trials yourself now, but realize that can change. Uh, consider the analogy from nature of, of the wildflowers that can be very beautiful, but high wind or strong wind, hot wind arising, and the, which happened in Palestine regularly, and, and uh, it, it quickly fades. And uh, so don't, don't be... Uh, the kind of person when things are going well, somehow feeling you deserve this in some special way, um, but to realize that uh, those who are rich, and of course probably all or almost all of us compared to the rest of the world are relatively rich, um, we need to keep that in the proper perspective, be good stewards of what God entrusts to us, but to realize that it uh, could well be a temporary blessing, uh, and in any case, it's something that God expects us to be good stewards of what he entrusts to us and certainly uh, not to be smug or looking down upon others. And James will come back to this theme throughout his letter on the relation between the relatively rich and the relatively poor and so forth. But it also is a lesson to those of us who are experiencing trials and difficulties not to, to envy uh, the rich or to uh, in some way... Uh, think that, well, you know, God must be especially pleased with them to, that they are not experiencing this kind of trial or difficulty. So, positive purpose, wisdom is available if we are believing and trusting in God. Uh, we need to keep the big picture in view and that there is life to come uh, when the trials will be over. And meanwhile, in this life, we're not to, to take uh, the wrong attitude if, if things are going relatively well. And then the fifth point in verse 12. And here we come again now to this key thought of endurance or perseverance. Verse 12, blessed are those who persevere under trial because when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now here we're drawing together a couple of themes that we've just seen. We see again this reference to the importance of perseverance. And uh, as I mentioned uh, at the beginning, the, this is a, a virtue that is able to be developed here and now uh, with trials and difficulties of, of a kind that we won't encounter uh, in eternity. And uh, then James also reminds us of eternity because he uses this phrase. It's not used very much in, in Scripture, but it, it is where, where it does appear. It's, it's talking about Eternal life, the crown of life that God has promised uh, to those who love him. And so if we have come into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, uh, that we love God, that we want to serve him, 
we realize that we fall short, which is why God had to send Christ to die for our sins, past, present, and future. Uh, but uh, to keep this in mind, that uh, uh, we're blessed if we persevere under trials, tests, temptations, um, because uh, uh, as we're learning through this, it is preparing us for eternity and the crown of life that God has for us. So that's the fifth thing, and it sort of draws together a couple of them that were already mentioned. And now the sixth point. And here we have verses 13, 14, and 15. When tempted, and by the way now, we have three English words, trials, uh, troubles, temptations, and the Greeks have two words that sort of overlap like that. And these words are used back and forth here. And we're not to think of it as in completely separate categories because, as I was mentioning earlier, there's a sense in which every every test, every trial, um, is also a kind of temptation. And I think that becomes more explicit now as we hear these verses, 13, 14, 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each of you is tempted when you're dragged away by your own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Um, this is one of the passages in, in Scripture, all of Scripture, which says a little bit more about sin than, than a lot of other places and indicates it is a process and that uh, being tempted or enticed uh, is not the same as actually sinning and that uh, uh, sin itself uh, is something that's given birth to but then it, it sort of grows and only as it's grown and that is sort of uh, around and around participated in and, and, and all that it leads to, to death. And so it's sort of saying this kind of, of process. And then it also is, is saying that it's ultimately our own evil desire, that there's a tempta- the temptation and there is an inclination to sort of blame somebody else, to blame the environment, uh, to blame the devil. The devil made me do it. Some demon made me do it. Uh, my upbringing made me do it. And James is saying ultimately, while these other factors may be involved, he doesn't want to blame these external factors here. Ultimately, it's, it's us. But the more significant, I think, or at least maybe even troubling, especially for those of you who know Scripture well, is, now is James right when he says that God doesn't tempt? Because can't you go to your concordance? Well, nowadays you'd probably go to your smartphone or whatever and call it up and, and hear some verses in the Bible that says God tempted so and so, God tempted such and such. And that's why I think we need to unpack this word uh, tempt uh, for a couple of minutes. We think of temptation normally, as we use it in English, as a... Uh, trying to get somebody to do something they ought not to do. To sin. Or to eat more than we ought to eat. Or drink more than we ought to drink. Whatever. Temptation. Don't tempt me. But the word itself is also the word for testing. Now, as you've heard, 
uh, I teach uh, in schools, graduate schools, seminaries, and I give tests to students. And many of you, of course, take tests one kind or another. You take driver's tests and, and all. Uh, when I give a test, my intention is not that the students fail. There are parts, even of America, and certainly in more of other parts of the world, where deliberately make the test as hard as they can. They want to fail a certain percentage of people. They don't have enough room to deal with more, so they want a lot of them to fail out or something. But normally, when we're giving a test, it's, yes, it's a helpful way of studying a subject, learning it, being sure somebody's qualified to do this, that, or the other. But the intention is for them to pass. I, as a teacher, look upon it as a reflection. It may not always be, but as a reflection upon how I have constructed the course and taught uh, if the students fail, especially if, if too many of them do. My intention is not that they fail. My intention is that they pass the test. And I think if you read the whole context within Scripture of where it talks about God tempting or God testing, you will see that the purpose, and often it, it tells us, the person did pass the test, Abraham and, and so forth. Um, and so when James says God does not tempt, what he means is God does not tempt with the intention of getting us to fail. He is not trying to say, well, you say you believe in me, you say you're trusting me, but I'm going to do such and such and show that you really don't. If you study the book of Job carefully, you'll see uh, again. Uh, that sort of thing is there. God allowed Satan to test Job because Satan was saying, well, Job isn't really going to show uh, trust in you. But God was wanting Job to pass, which thankfully he did. Now, that's the point. That's how I think we harmonize what James is here saying with passages that you might and would read elsewhere in Scripture. But that's that's the the other point that we need to keep in mind. Point number six. Following point five about reinforcing the importance of perseverance. Point six is saying we're not supposed to be angry with God. God is not trying to get us to fail. You see, there are, of course, a lot of non-Christians, but even Christians who sort of feel they've made a kind of bargain with God. That if I believe in you, if I give money to the church, if I go regularly... If I raise my, my children properly, if I proper relation with uh, my spouse or, or, or other relationships that I'm in, that's my part of it. And then this is your part of the bargain. You will see that such and such happens, that uh, I get and keep a good job, that uh, my children do this, that, and the other, and so forth. We sort of see ourselves as bargaining with God. And uh, then if, if it doesn't work out, if trials Troubles, tribulations of various kinds arise, uh, we say, oh, God, you're not keeping your part of the bargain. Or, or you're trying to, to test me, to, uh, to get me to, to uh, back away from my commitment to, to you. And so James is saying that when we do have these trials, these troubles, we're not to say, well, God is, is somehow wanting to see if he can't get me to break, if he can't get me to to Turn away from him. No. As we've already said, God has a positive purpose in this, not a negative purpose. 
And we need to realize that and not use it as an excuse then, as sadly sometimes happens, to say, well, then I, I'm just not going to worry about trying to follow what God says he wants uh, his people to do through the word and through the guidance of the Holy Spirit and so forth. Um, and uh, if I do things that are wrong, well, ultimately it's, it's God's fault because he didn't keep his part of the bargain. So anger, distrust of God is, is wrong, is sinful. Uh, just as earlier we saw the importance of trusting, believing, thoroughly believing about the goodness of God. And now the final point, verses 16 through 18. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. So here we have the positive affirmation now of what has been sort of hinted at and prepared for by previous comments, that God is good and indeed is the source of all good gifts. Point one, God has a positive purpose in whatever, however big or little, the trials might be. Point two, wisdom as to what to do next is available, provided we are trusting in God and his goodness. Point three, we're to keep the total picture in view, not only this life, but the life to come. Point four, we're not to become overly proud if everything is going along fine now. It could change. We're not to envy those who things are going good for them presently. Point five, just reinforcing the importance of, of perseverance that God wants to develop, that quality in us. And point six, that we're not to blame God for uh, problems that might be uh, arising and that uh, say that he's trying to, to allow this trial to, to get us to, to turn away or something like that. And then finally, point seven, that we are to reflect upon the goodness of God. Now, that, that can be hard when things are, are not going well which is why we are to keep these other points in mind uh, as well, especially uh, re-emphasizing that this life is not all there is to, this, uh, to, to our existence. That, uh, as Paul says, that uh, the sufferings of this, this present, uh, present life are not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory. And uh, Paul and Peter and the others throughout are giving the lie to those, sadly, there are some in the Christian movement who are saying, well, if you're really trusting in God, uh, he will see that you have all the health and all the wealth that you need right here and now. And that Christians are not supposed to be sick. And Christians are not supposed to be poor. Tell that to some of the Christians suffering over there now in Syria and Egypt and northern Nigeria and other places like that. There are, becoming a Christian can, can especially in many parts of the world, can, can lead to problems that you, you don't have if you're not a Christian. And uh, the Bible prepares us for this. And the, the, those who try to say, well, if you're really trusting in Christ, you, you won't have these problems. They have to be very selective in their, their reading and they have to omit certain large sections of, of Scripture. They have to sort of do away with Second Corinthians altogether. And, um, and, and so, but what we need to affirm is that God is good 
And ultimately, whatever goodness there that we do get, even if it's from other sources indirectly, is ultimately from God. That's what James is saying here. Every good and perfect gift is ultimately from God. The Father of the heavenly lights is referring to the stars and the moon and the sun, that he's the creator of it, the creator of this vast universe. And again, bringing in nature, he's not changing back and forth the way that shadows sort of move or, or shift and everything. And then the ultimate gift is one that I hope uh, most of us have experienced. What James is here calling, and again, Paul and the others elaborate more upon it, that we have a new birth. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. We have a physical birth for our parents, but now those who have received Jesus Christ as Savior, recognizing that he died for our sins upon the cross and was raised again from the dead for our justification, that those who have received this word of truth are kind of first fruits of all he created. First fruits being something that is very common in Jewish and for that matter, I guess, in any agricultural society as the beginnings of the harvest. And this was at the beginnings of, of the Christian movement now. That uh, we, we are those who, uh, uh, the ones who is writing among the first, we are now continuing that of being those that God has not only seen that we have physical life, but through Jesus Christ, having uh, spiritual life, which prepares us for uh, eternal life. And this is the greatest gift of all. The best gift of all, the truly good gift that God has given. And far outweighs any amount of suffering, of trial, of difficulty uh, that we might have uh, in this present life. And it's as we reflect upon all these points and these various verses here that we're able, I think, to be able to obey what James says as considering it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you for these words written so long ago by our brother James and yet so relevant to each of us today. Maybe some of us are not experiencing great difficulties or even little difficulties right now, but uh, all of us at some time will, and we certainly are in contact with people who do, both near and far. Help us as we go forth now to worship you, to serve you, to be your people uh, in this day, this week, to be those who do know you as a good God, who do know you in the midst of uh, all the, the troubles that are going on around the world and in our own uh, society, in our own families, relationships, that nevertheless we can trust you, believe in you, come to you for wisdom, look to you for uh, the eternal crown of life, and meanwhile count upon the strength uh, that you provide through the Holy Spirit uh, to be able to appropriately deal with whatever difficulties we have. We don't want to be flippant uh, about uh, telling others just uh, to cheer up uh, when there are problems. But we do want to be those who are able to, to from your word, take that nourishment which we need to show a, a genuine uh, calmness and faith and trust in you and in your purposes in uh, allowing these things to come into our lives and the lives of those uh, whom we touch. And especially we pray for any who may not personally know you and to realize that, that you can be using a trial to get their attention and to get them to realize the need to trust in you and that you are uh, eagerly uh, awaiting them to come to believe uh, the good news 
and then to draw upon the strength and the wisdom that you are so eager to provide uh, through your word, through the counsel of mature believers in order to bring greater glory uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in his name as we go forth uh, to be your people in the world around us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.